Father, we pray that your spirit will indeed breathe on us as we continue our worship. Let us hear and understand and receive through Christ. Amen. Please be seated. When I watch the, the video, it, um, it's a little different image than I've always had of John the Baptist. Now, you know, the hair and stuff all matted, that, that's kind of, I think you have to go with that. You live in the wilderness and eat locusts and wild honey, you're going to end up looking like that, I think. So, you know, that, that's probably a given, but uh, I would never picture John with a British accent, uh, you know, but those things, you know, who, do, who knows? But... Uh, the, uh, the other thing about that that is a little different than the image I have when I read the scriptures is that there weren't enough people around. Because when I, when I think about John and I read the scriptures, it, it seems to me that John was the kind of person who had crowds following him. He, he, he was a big guy in, the, in that time. I mean, he's, he's a celebrity, first century Palestine. I was trying to think of who he might be like today and, you know, maybe in the, in the religious world, Andy Stanley or... Or uh, Rick Warren or Billy Graham. But I think he's probably bigger than that. In a wider, wider scope. Maybe Bono. You know, uh, people might not have heard him, but they knew about him. You know, people knew about him. And, and, and the, thing I, 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 the reason I think that so many people were interested in John is because he's taking attention away from the folks in Jerusalem. And that's not cool. So they want to figure out what's going on out there in the wilderness, what's going on in the Jordan River, and they send a group of people to check him out. Now, you have to be pretty important and pretty popular for them to send a group of people out to figure out what's going on with you. It tells The scriptures tell us that, that all this took place when John was baptizing at Bethany, and in Bethany, is, we don't know exactly where that place is. There's a Bethany that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are at, but that's close to Jerusalem. And this is a different one. No one's really been able to figure out exactly where it is, but we know it's on the other side of the Jordan River. So it's at least 15 or so miles from Jerusalem. And in an era when the primary mode of transportation is your feet, going 15 miles to see somebody is a significant trip. And people are going to see John. He's popular. He's successful. And so these, these, these gentlemen from, from, the, from headquarters come to him and they have one question to ask John. Who are you? Who are you? And John, despite the crowds and despite his popularity... I mean, John knows exactly what they're asking him. You know, he understands that the underlying question they're really asking. They're really asking, are you the Messiah? Are you, are you the Christ? Are you the chosen one? Are you the one that we've been waiting for all this time? Is that you? The Messiah, of course, is, is huge to, to the Jewish people. It's at the center of, of, you know, of, their, of their life and existence for centuries. 
waiting, anticipating. And there are a lot of views about what the Messiah will do and how, what the Messiah will bring. And it, it, you, Typically, people have an idea the Messiah will bring some kind of peace or that the M- Messiah will bring in a, a time of righteousness. A lot of people believe that the Messiah is going to come with the armies of Jerusalem and gather them up to defeat their enemies. But every one of those ideas has something to do with rescue, something to do with saving. And they come to John and they say, so is that you? And I suspect it would have been very easy for John to have given them the wrong impression. But instead, John's answer is direct and clear. I am not the Christ. I am not the Christ. In fact, actually, it's, it's more emphatic than, we might, than even that particular answer. Because verse 20 says, He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. Now, if you, you want to get the, sort of the, the, the words of the Greek, the New American Standard, the New Revised Standard, both have it. He confessed, and he did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. Three words in that sentence have to do with confession and denial. This is an emphatic answer from John. And the message has that he was completely honest. He didn't evade the question. He told the plain truth. I am not the Messiah. No hesitancy. No pause. Now, now we know about the pause, right? I mean, we understand that. Did, Did you have anything to do with that dent in the fender? Pause. How do I answer that? Did you break that lamp? Did you hit your sister? Did you file those reports? Did you do all the reading? Is all of this work yours? You know that that moment when you're when you're confronted with a question that you really aren't sure you want to answer and you have that pause that moment where your your mind is racing and you're trying to decide are you going to answer with the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth or are you going to stretch a little bit you're going to shift the blame even though it's all your fault are you going to give an impression that's not quite true And if John is anything like us which I think he is There's that same temptation to say, well, I don't know. What do you guys think? Maybe, maybe I should pray about that. Maybe I didn't realize it. You know, why don't, let's, let's wait and see. Let's think through that. Let's talk some more. Let's see what happens. But John's answer is emphatic and definitive. I am not the Christ. And there is something in John's answer that I believe speaks to the heart of what it means for us to be God's people. Something in this answer about what it means to be Christian that we cannot miss. This confession, which is older than any of the catechisms, older than any of the creeds. This confession is at the heart of what has to be central in our minds and our hearts and our lives If we are to be the people of God. That we live our lives declaring, I am not the Christ. 
Now, to make that declaration, to make that confession, I am not the Christ, is to confess that Jesus is the center of all that it means to be God's people. In chapter 3 of John's Gospel, John takes up a little bit more of this discussion with his disciples. And he says, you yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I'm sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him. And is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. And that joy is mine and is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who comes from heaven is above all. It's about Christ. As someone has said, Jesus is the center and the circumference of the Christian life. Jesus is the centerpiece of God's creation. Jesus is the sun around which everything revolves. Jesus is the bloodstream of the universe. You see it in Paul's writings. A quick survey of the, of the first chapters of a number of Paul's letters reveal how central Christ is to everything he says. Colossians 1 has 30 references to Jesus. Ephesians 1, 26 references. Philippians 1, 20 references. Romans 1, 11. 1 Corinthians 13, 2 Corinthians 5, Galatians 4. And Paul writes to the Colossians, Christ is all and is in all. Jesus is the heart of Christianity. Without Jesus, there is no Christianity. It's that simple. So do you seek righteousness? It's about Jesus. Do you want peace? It's about Jesus. Do you want truth? It's Jesus. Do you desire uh, wisdom? It's Jesus. Do you want to see the power of God? It's Jesus. Jesus is the embodiment of all that God is and all that God does. And so words like wisdom, peace, truth, righteousness, beauty, grace, mercy, love, kindness, patience, goodness, all of these words are forced into existence simply to give us some way of describing Jesus. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. Everything is wrapped up in him. Christianity is Christ. Nothing more, nothing less. Len Sweet and Frank Viola just written a remarkable book that I think has the potential to ignite seismic transformation in the church and ultimately in the world. I'm, I'm in the process of working out some details to make this book available. I want to buy a number of copies and to make it available at a much reduced price because I think it's a book we all need to read. And in this book, Jesus' Manifesto, Their premise is summarized in the belief that the major disease in the church today is JDD. Jesus Deficit Disorder. And they talk about the fact that how Christians have made the gospel about so many things. Things other than Jesus. But Jesus is the gravitational pull that brings everything together and gives it meaning without Jesus... Things have no meaning, and that includes you and me. And this is at the heart of John's confession. When I think about John's confession, I am not the Christ, my mind jumps to Matthew 16 and another confession. Jesus is meeting with his disciples, and he asks them, 
Who do you say that I am? And Peter pipes up, you're the Christ. And that is the opposite side of the coin. I am not the Christ because Jesus is. But it seems to me that it's awfully difficult, if not impossible, for us to answer Jesus' question about who he is until we begin to come to grips with the Pharisees' question about who we are. How can you say Jesus is the Christ if we aren't willing to say, I am not the Christ? But I'm not sure we really get that. I don't think we would ever say with our mouths, I am the Christ. I mean, those are the kinds of things that people like Jim Jones and David Koresh, those are statements that they make. But what about how we live? What about the decisions we make, the impressions we give people? You see, to confess, I am not the Christ, is to acknowledge that we are not the solution to the problems we encounter. Jesus is. What are we really talking about here? We're talking about living our lives in such a way that everything just revolves around Jesus. That we are not the center of our world, he is. We cannot save the world, only he can. We are powerless and and helpless and hopeless without him. We can't help anyone without Christ. That's a word that I think is especially important for people who are in positions of spiritual leadership. I I do a a fair amount of counseling. And every so often, you know, I I get lucky and say something and and people are helped by that. And, and, you know, and I'll often get a note back from them or maybe they'll come and talk to me and they'll thank me for what I said or, you know, they'll they'll appreciate it. And, you know, and and it's great to hear that. And, And I don't think there's anything wrong with hearing that. We need to express our gratitude to each other. And it's good to want to help people. We ought to want to help people. It's part of being followers of Jesus. But I have to be so careful that I don't give people the impression that this is about me giving them answers as opposed to Christ. You know, it's a fine line between I'm glad I was able to help you to pretty good at this, aren't I? To, I'm not sure that this place could survive without me. To maybe, maybe I'm a little bit of the Messiah. Maybe there's a tad of of the Messiah. We've had this upsurge in, in our church income the last couple of months and it's been amazing to watch it. And a number of people have asked me, why do you think this, why do you think this is happening? And I don't know. I, I've tried to think through some, something human that we have done that you, know, you can pin that to. And I haven't been able to find anything, which is probably good because it just reminds us that it's God at work. It's not us. I'm just trying to not mess it up. There is something in me that wants to find something human in it because of this desire to want to control it. And I need to confess once again, I am not the Christ Jesus is. It's not about me. 
But it's not limited to spiritual people in positions of spiritual leadership. It's a temptation for all of us. Because we're all tempted to believe that at one point or another, we are the answer to the things that we encounter. Now, where does that show up? Where does it show up when we subtly say, maybe I am the Christ? What's in the good things that we do? It's in our accomplishments and our victories and our successes. It's in the gifts and abilities that we've been given. All these things for which we are grateful. But the temptation is to subtly think it's about me. It's about us rather than Jesus. I fear that we are close to I am the Christ. When I hear us talk about the the ills of the world, the moral problems of the world, and our initial response is, if we don't, if we don't stand up and fight, if we don't push back the tide, if we don't do something, it's all going to fall apart. Now hear me clearly. I'm not minimizing the problems of our world, nor am I implying that we ought not to be involved in trying to, to, to solve them and, and to, to bring resolution to them. John is actively doing something about the problems of his world. But it's such a subtle movement from we're actively involved in the world to we're the last resort. We're the only solution. We're the last line of defense. Unless we do something, all is lost. But the problems of life and the problems of this world are far too important to leave in our hands. Things that we're dealing with are far too great to think that we could solve them. If John doesn't see himself as the last resort, as the last line of defense, as the solution, then unless people follow him, all is lost, then surely we can't make that claim either. We do good and we learn the scriptures and we carry forth all the ways that we can to be a positive Christ-inducing influence in this world. But Christ is the center, not us. And if it ever gets changed, we are declaring, I am the Christ. And the world is in major trouble if any of us are its savior. I think what's so hard for us to realize is that Declaring and living, I am not the Christ Jesus is, is the most liberating perspective in the world. It's freedom. In a passage from Jeremiah we just read, he says, This is what the Lord says, Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans, who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. I don't know exactly what the curse is going to be, But maybe part of it is that it's the pressure and the stress and the perfectionism that comes from trusting in ourselves and thinking everything is on our shoulders. We create these unrealistic expectations about ministry and life and at least isolation and pressure and stress and burdens simply because we have come to believe that we're the answer, that everything rests on us and our efforts. And for me to say to you, you are not the Christ sort of seems like a put-down. But it's actually the most liberating thing any of us could ever hear. There is, in this confession, sort of a freedom to fail. Not freedom to sin, but freedom to not have to be perfect. Freedom to not have to answer every question, solve every problem, and, and heal every wound, and help every person. 
I think our struggle is that often we prefer recognition to freedom. Something in my insecurity wants to to be so necessary to the church and to people's lives that if I'm not here, it's all going to fall apart. That's a lot of pressure, trying to hold everything together. I'm pretty sure that if I disappear, it's not going to all fall apart. Now, let's be honest. It's going to be bad. It's going to be tragic. It's going to be heart-wrenching for everyone, right? But you know, it's not going to fall apart unless, unless everything's been centered on me. And then we're in a lot more trouble than any of us realize. The only person who's necessary to all of it is Christ. And I am not the Christ Jesus is. And you are not the Christ Jesus is. And if we could begin to live that truth, it would set us free. Bruce Larson used to pastor a church in Manhattan. And when he was helping people wrestle through some of these issues, he would go down the street to the, the RCA building. And if you've ever been down there in front of the RCA building, is this huge statue of Atlas. And, and Atlas is standing there and in front of the building, you know, his feet set and his hands up and this huge world he's holding up. And you can see in the statue, every single muscle is strained on his face and everything, all of his might to hold up the world. And they would look at that statue and they would talk about it. And then he'd say to them, all right, let's walk across the street. They walk across the street into St. Patrick's Cathedral. And walk into the cathedral and down around back behind the altar, there's a statue of Jesus. Maybe eight, nine years old as a boy. And Jesus is standing there calm, relaxed, absolutely at ease. And he has his hand out like this. And in his hand is the world. And we can choose which way we want to live. Letting Jesus handle the world is freedom and liberty. Because we are not the Christ he is. Our job is not to hold up the world. That's Christ's job. Our job is to point to Christ. And that's our role. And to confess, I am not the Christ, Jesus is. Is to simply acknowledge that we are here to point people to Jesus. It's it's what John says is his role. John says, as the religious leaders keep pressing him about his identity, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. He's saying, I'm not the Christ, but he's here. So get ready. Open your eyes. Remove the obstacles that are in the way that prevent you from seeing him. Because he is here. Back in chapter 3 of John, he says to his disciples, You yourselves were there when I made it public that I was not the Messiah, but simply the one sent ahead of him to get things ready. The one who gets the bride is the bridegroom. 
And the bridegroom's friend is his best man. And that's me. I'm at his place. I'm in place at his side. We can hear every word. And I am so happy for him. That's why my cup is running over. This is the assigned moment for him to move into the center while I slip off to the sidelines. I once heard Gordon Eugenberger, who was a senior minister at Park Street Church in Boston, talk about that passage. And he, and he painted an interesting picture. He said, imagine you're at a wedding. And um, you come in, you sit down with the guests, and pretty soon as things get ready, you see the groom and, and, and his best man, and the attendants walk out, and they stand here, and the anticipation is building. The groom waits, and he fidgets a little bit as, as he watches the, the bridesmaids make their way down the aisle and take their place, and the flower girl and the ring bearer, and everything is, the anticipation is rising more and more and more, and people are waiting until all of a sudden the wedding march begins, and the doors open, and the bride begins her, begins her walk down the aisle. And you look at the groom, and he's smiling, and he's rejoicing, and it's the, the greatest day of his life. And his eyes lock on his bride as he watches her make her way down the aisle. And she's looking back at him and smiling, and all of a sudden he realizes her eyes aren't locked on him. They're just a little bit left of him. And he realizes she's looking at his best man. He looks over at him and he's making eyes at her, flirting with her as she's walking down the aisle. And something that was supposed to be beautiful and and wonderful has been torn to shreds. You and I are not the groom. We're the best man. We're not the center of the ceremony. We're simply there to point people to the groom. Because we are not the Christ. Jesus is. And you know you're on the right track. You know that your priorities are getting where they should be. When you find more joy and more excitement and you feel more thrilled about pointing to the groom than about pointing at yourself. I suspect that as, as you're listening to this, you're a lot of things going through your mind and you're, you're questioning, well, yeah, but what about this? Or what about that? Or shouldn't we... And, All these questions. I've asked those same questions. I'll be honest with you. I don't really know exactly all the answers to those things. But here's what I'm going to ask of us. That when we go home, every morning when we get up, and every night as we close our eyes to sleep, and as many times as we possibly can during the day, that we commit ourselves to confess. Say the words out loud. I am not the Christ. Jesus is. I am not the Christ. Jesus is. And let's see what happens. I think, I think transformation in us individually and in us corporately, I think that's what's going to happen.
as we surrender ourselves to him. How about it? Are you willing to give it a try? Father, you know that this is striking at the heart of our sinfulness and our self-centeredness. Most of the temptations that come at us. It's a hard thing for us. Father, we want to be your people. And we want to live in joy and freedom. So we declare today, I am not the Christ. Jesus is. May those words get into our minds. May that confession get under our skin that we begin to live what we confess through Christ Jesus. Through Christ Jesus.